Well, good morning. There is a certain weightiness um, to today, to this day. I know most of our church family, um, many of you did not know David Kemp. Um, He was a teaching elder at Canton Bible Church. And um, so as an elder here, I had the privilege of getting to know him. We might consider them a sister church. We met with their elders. They met with us, you know. We have blind spots. Um, And so it's nice to get together with other elders at another church, a like-minded church, and fellowship with them and interact with them in terms of shepherding uh, the sheep. And so so I heard for that family. We know that to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. And we know that to live is to live is Christ and to die is gain, but it doesn't change the pain that we feel when we're separated from someone that we love. The best picture for me is when a mom here takes a two-year-old to the nursery and there's that separation anxiety and that little baby just like, you'd think the mom was never coming back the way that baby responds, right? Moms, am I, am I right about that? I'm, and yet she knows she's coming back. And we know that Christ is going to return. And we know that those who die in Christ will be resurrected and together. And so we look forward to that. We look forward to that. We expect possibly, and because of his influence in the lives of so many people at that church and in their community, we expect maybe 300 people here. So we are going to need some help from some hard bodies, some guys that can bring some chairs down from upstairs as we, as we um, try to accommodate maybe up to 300 people here um, in this place where we worship. And if, if you're here and you see the parking lot's full, um, where's Roger? Am I saying this right? We can park next door and walk over on the sidewalk um, uh, from the medical building um, um, next door. So anyway, I know most of you don't, 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 um, aren't familiar with them, but you know Hannah. And pray, so pray for Hannah for that and for that family. Um, also a shout out to, just a thank you to the people who ministered during the service, um, during the preaching time that we have and the singing and the communion with our young people. So many, you know, we're a small body. And so we're always sensitive. The elders are sensitive about pulling resources out of, out of our fellowship here into another place. And I want to say thank you to some empty nesters who stepped up and said, hey, sign me up when, we, when a decision was made. We used, to, we used to dismiss the three and unders. And now it's five and unders. So we needed somebody to look at the, to care for the fours and fives because they were a little bit of a distraction for parents. And so, especially since we go a little long here, okay, 45 minutes if you were visiting warning. Um, so um, to our to, uh, um, 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 to Bonnie and Linda, give you a thank you, and Pat, um, um, Pat and Barb Peters, who um, they, they're the ones that like said, hey, send us, we'll go, we'll do that. And so they willingly have taken themselves out, and they, they alternate with taking themselves out of our fellowship here on this morning, this hour, so they you can um, be here undistracted in doing that. Turn in your Bibles to the epistle of 1 John. If you need help getting there, just start in Revelation and go backwards through Jude, and you're going to come to 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and you get there real quickly. That's where our study is. Um, If you know me, you know what I'm going to say next, and that is that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man and woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I'm going to start every sermon off with that and remind you that is a true statement as we come and look at God's Word. Teaching, instruction, reproof, identifying sin in our life, correction, changing our mind, and lining up with our Heavenly Father and His truth. And then training, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. That's what we do as an athlete does in their lives. Also, we understand that no scripture is, is um, 
subject to anybody's own interpretation. There's only one interpretation. That's an interpretation of the author, and that's the Holy Spirit working through, in this case, the Apostle John to bring us his word. So if you will, with me, let's, as you're turning here, let's bow our heads and ask God to bless the brief time that we have together. Can we do that? Father, thank you for this time that we have together to look into your word. Thank you that you have revealed yourself through your word and most perfectly in the person of Jesus Christ. And so as we come and we approach your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit will work in my heart and in my mind so that I might be changed. Let the light of your word expose sin in my life. And may I confess that sin. And may I enjoy the cleansing that comes from the fellowship with you. And so bless our time together as we come and look into your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. We'll read the first chapter again. We, uh, last week we were in verses 1 through 4. We'll still read that. And um, we'll go through um, verse 10. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, Concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. Well, if you were here last week, and I know some of you were gone um, Father's Day, but if you are here last week, um, we looked at the first four verses. The author of this epistle is the Apostle John. His recipients are fellow believers, and he addresses them affectionately as you read throughout the epistle as my little children and beloved. He says that repeatedly, and you can see his heart as he addresses um, these believers. The purpose of this epistle is to encourage these believers in their fellowship with Christ, and in their fellowship with one another. Now, the purpose of his gospel was to introduce them to the person of Jesus Christ, but the purpose in this epistle is to encourage them in their walk with the Lord and their fellowship with one another. He affirms who they are in Christ, their position in Christ, and he affirms the truths that they have learned. And in doing so, he refutes the false teachers of their time. And then he, and again, he encourages them. To, whenever we talk about our walk with the Lord, our walk is always in relation to one another. That's the walk. So when we're talking about a walk, that's how our, our relationship with God is expressed and how we fellowship right here among the body of believers. And that's the walk. The main point last week was as followers of Jesus Christ, there is great joy that comes from the restored fellowship we have with both God and with one another. It's a restored fellowship that comes exclusively through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. And so John begins this epistle identifying the subject. That is, that which was from the beginning. And so in reading that, that's the person of Jesus Christ. We go right back to the gospel where John says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is fully God. And in the same gospel, in the first chapter, he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is fully man, fully God and fully man. Jesus lived a sinless life and he took upon himself our sins so, it might, so that he might be, God might be completely satisfied, so that Christ might completely satisfy the wrath of God. 
That's propitiation to be satisfied. And we'll see that in this epistle as we walk through this epistle. Reconciling us to himself so it might live in a restored relationship, that is fellowship with both God and with one another. And John reminds his readers that the life of Christ, his death, and his resurrection are historical facts that can be attested to by a multitude of eyewitnesses. That which we've heard, that which we've seen, John says, with our eyes. It wasn't a vision. It wasn't a dream. With our eyes. And which we touched with our hands. And he was made manifest to us. We said last week that the Christian faith has as its object the person of Jesus Christ. That is our hope in a person, in the person of Jesus Christ. We said that our faith is not a blind faith. And we said that our faith is a true and rational faith. That's Paul's defense before Festus and King Herod Agrippa II when he said, but I am speaking true and rational words. That's what Paul says. And so our, and so our faith is true and it's rational. We said the, that the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross not only reconciles man to God, it restores our relationship with our Creator, but it restores our relationship with one another. That which we've seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us, John says. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, here's our conclusion. We concluded last week that we cannot disconnect our fellowship with God from our fellowship with one another. And that's really the truth that, that John argues throughout this epistle that he, that, he, and that he writes to these believers. We don't get to worship God on our own terms. You understand? Our worship is not an individual worship. God is in the process of calling out men and women from every tribe, tongue, and nation to worship him corporately. Corporately. Corporate fellowship is a strange concept in a culture that's self-centered and very individualistic. And that creeps into our churches. And we have to understand that our fellowship with God is expressed in our fellowship with one another. You cannot disconnect them. Peter says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, that you may proclaim that you, that's plural, you, y'all, we'll just say y'all, here we're in the south, y'all, may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once y'all were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so we cannot claim to have fellowship with God while living outside of fellowship with one another. So now as we continue our study in verses 5 through 10, John tackles head-on the influence of these false teachers. We see that in Paul's writings and his epistles. We see that in John as he tackles the teachings of the false teachers. And here's, and here's the main point. This is what I want you to come away with from this morning, is that for one who walks in the light of God's word, there is both fellowship and there's cleansing which is evidenced by a confession of sin in our lives. Because God has called us out of darkness and into light. You know, when you boil down the, um, the false teachers, and the, in, the, in the basic form, whether it was in John's time or whether it's in our time, there's really two main things you need to look for and you can be aware of. One, all false teaching denies the deity of Christ, his sinlessness, and it denies the humanity of Christ. It denies those. And you know why? Because that nullifies the atonement. That nullifies the need for the atonement on the cross. If Christ is not God, he's not sinless. Therefore, there's no atonement. He died for his own sin, not for ours. If Christ is not fully man, then he cannot act as our substitute in our place, in the place of and my place, and yours. So they deny the deity of Christ and the humanity of Christ. Secondly, they deny the resurrection. That also nullifies the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the, on the cross. 
As Mark said here, Christ is raised from the dead, proof positive that he has fully been accepted by God the Father, his death in my place. These are the lies of the false teachers in John's day, and they're the lies of the false teachers in our day. Think about it. The, gospel, the prosperity gospel. Think about the prosperity gospel. It denies the depravity of man, and it reduces God to a genie in a bottle. Isn't that what it does? Denies the depravity of man, and it reduces God to genie in the bottle. The atoning work of Christ is denied because man doesn't really want deliverance from his sin. What he wants is health and wealth and prosperity. And he wants God to give that to him. If he can just say the right words and do the right things. A genie in a bottle. Now, there's another false gospel I think is more prevalent in the churches today. And I've, and I've kind of got a name for it. I think there's a better way to say this. Somebody will help me with this later. But I call it the Jesus makes good people better gospel. Jesus makes good people better gospel. That's the more creepy gospel in churches today. This false doctrine says that man is basically a good person, denies the depravity of man, and that Jesus makes me better. I mean, it's, it sells. It does sell. But its premise is that man is basically good. It's a works-based gospel. And the atoning death of Jesus on the cross isn't really necessary because I'm really not that depraved. I'm not the God-hater and self-lover that the Bible tells me that I am. Of course, there's many other false gospels um, today, but those are the basic. You you look at every one of them, and you'll see basically the same thing. You know, it's important to know, too, as as we read through this passage, that John doesn't identify or label the false teachers of this time. Instead, he reinforces the truth that they've learned. Counterfeit will always be exposed to be false when it's held up to the light, when it's held up to that standard. And John, his focus is to reinforce that truth, that standard. Now, just some detail. I mean, the the false teachers of that time were were called Gnostics, or maybe pre-Gnosticism. And and just for your own information, in 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 the simplest way I can say it, here's what they believe. The spirit is good and the body is evil. That's what they said. And the body and the spirit are disconnected. So, And deliverance from evil came through a secret knowledge, an added word, something more than than the truth of God's word. So, think about it. Since the body's evil, sins of the flesh don't really impact the spirit. So the body can participate in acts of evil and not impact the spirit. Therefore, they could say, and without sin. And so they have fellowship with God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is also denied in that. Because remember, they said the body is evil. The physical is evil. And so Jesus Christ could not have had a physical resurrection. Although we cannot be sure the exact tenets of these false teachers, John does identify three expressions. He gives three expressions of the false teachers of that day. And then he counters them with three realities. So look, at, so look at your passage. Look at the text. Three expressions and three realities. Verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with, with him, that is God, while we walk in darkness. Okay, that's, that's the statement they're making. And then John counters that with the reality. Here's the reality. We lie and do not practice the truth. Verse 8. Here's the expression. We say that we have no sin. I don't have any sin. No sin. Don't even worry about sin. Here's the reality, John says. We deceive ourselves and we do not practice the truth. Verse 10. If we say that we have not sin, that's the expression. The reality, John says, is that we make him, that is God, a liar. And his word is not in us. Now, since John's going to be dealing with the topic of sin He begins with a standard by which sin is measured. John reminds these believers that God is the standard of all truth and righteousness as expressed in the person of Jesus Christ, that which was from the beginning. This is the message, John says, that we have heard from him, from Christ, from Jesus Christ. 
and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And so John says, God is light. All that is righteous morally and all that is true, that which corresponds to reality, is defined in the person and the character and the being of God. And that person is the person of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. God's revelation of himself to us is through his word and through the person of Christ. Listen, listen to what Solomon says in Proverbs. He says, my son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment, that is the word of the Lord, is a lamp. And is teaching a light. And then Solomon tells his son, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Well, we always want to leave that piece out. The reproofs of discipline is something we should welcome, welcome in our life every day. Psalm 119, the psalmist says this, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119, 127 through 130, Therefore I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore I consider your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. Your testimonies are wonderful, psalmist says. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. John says, God is light. God reveals himself through his word. And again, most perfectly through his son, Jesus Christ. Christ made that exclusive claim to be Light, God in the flesh. John 8, Jesus says this, I am, the, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In John chapter 12, Jesus says this, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. The message that John proclaims has not changed. He reminds the, his, the readers of this epistle. There's nothing new to add. There's no secret knowledge as the Gnostics were telling them. It's, it's the message that John and other eyewitnesses had heard from the person of Jesus Christ, that God has come in Christ, the light of the world, to dispel darkness. And so John says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. You know, in the simplest of terms, when we think of light, we think of that which allows us to see what really is. Right? You can't move in any direction, and not in any meaningful way, without light. You're at your, you, how, I mean, how many, uh, it, so many of us have experienced this. You're at night, the light goes out. What's the first thing? It's night, there's no light, the electricity goes out, the street lights aren't working, nothing's working in the house. What's the first thing you think about? Where's the flashlight? Long ago, they went on, where's the candle, right? But where is the flash? Where is the source of light. And so God describes himself to us in the terms, the simplest terms that we can understand, and that is light. John said, God is light. God has revealed himself through his word. Jesus Christ defines reality because he is light. He is the creator of all things, and he gives purpose and meaning to all that is. That's reality. You know, several weeks ago, Stephen Conti was preaching in Colossians. And in Colossians chapter 1, reminded us that he, that is Christ, 
is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Every person, listen to me, every person has a standard by which he or she defines what is reality, what is real. It's a standard by which we judge what is true and what is false. For the atheist, for the atheist, hear me on this, the standard of truth is his or her own ability to reason. That's it. That's the standard, their own ability to reason. For the atheist, the source of truth comes from within. There's nothing greater than his or her own ability to reason what is true and what is false. For the atheist, reality is limited to what he or she can reason within themselves. It's darkness claiming to be light. Psalm 14, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But for the Christian The God of the Bible is a personal God who is the unchanging standard that we use to judge what is true and what is false. As John says, God is light. God defines reality. He's the creator of all things, and he alone defines what is real. And God is the source and the measure of all that is true. So let's just pause for one second here before we... And before we tackle the next few verses with some definitions, I don't have to write all these down, but just hear me on on some of these. Because John, John, in John's writing, everything is black and white with him, right? It's light or it's darkness. It's a truth or it's a lie. There's really no gray area with John. Um, So I love the way he writes. He, He thinks like I do. I'm very linear. My job, what I do for a living, I'm a risk manager. It's this way or it's that way, you know, and I'm trying to sort through things. So I like the way he thinks. I like the contrast that he makes. But here's how I want to define some terms for us. Light. Light is anything that's consistent with the person, the character, and the nature of God, right? God is light. So light is going to be anything that's consistent with the person, the nature, and the character of God. Truth. Another word, truth. He uses truth. Truth is the revelation of that light. Truth is who God is. It's what God has revealed about himself. Sanctify them, Jesus prays to his Father in in John 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. I am the way, Jesus said, the truth and the life. Jesus is the revelation of who God is. Truth is the revelation of God. That's what truth is. Definition number three, walking in the light. What is walking in the light? Practicing truth. It's It's thinking and acting in a way that's in complete agreement with truth. So walking in the light is when you're walking in a way that's in complete agreement with the truth of God's word, who God is. And darkness, simply the absence of light. It's anything that's not absolutely consistent with the truth of God's word, what God has revealed about himself. The lie, that's the lie. Um, Two more, two more. I'll give you two more, and then then we'll go through our passage. Sin. Sin is any thought or action that yields or acts upon a lie. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in in this epistle, and when we get to chapter 3, John says in this epistle in chapter 3, sin is lawlessness. It's disobedient. To the commands of God. And the commands of God are God's revelation of himself. Do this, don't do that. God, what God says is it comes, flows out of his character. So when we disobey God's commands, we are rebelling God. We are defaming the character 
of God. That's what sin is. It defames God's character. So it's to think or to act in a way that yields to the lie of the enemy, right? And Satan is the father of all lies. What did he tell Eve? You surely will not die. What did God say? You eat, you die, right? That's what a lie is. It's contrary to that revealed truth that we have from God. All right, those are some defined words. Now let's, now let's uh, move on. The, um, Jesus says about himself this. And John says, uh, John, or John says this about Jesus in, our, in, in, in verse 4 of our passage. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome. I'm, I'm sorry, that's from the gospel, um, first chapter of the Gospel of John. And so in verse 5, John now makes this true statement. So he's, he's contradicting the false teachers. His true statement is this, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now in verses 6 through 10, John gives application to that truth. Our daily lives are a walk, give personal testimony to our relationship with God. And so John says this in verse 6, If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Light and darkness cannot coexist. We cannot have fellowship with God, the source of all truth, and at the same time walk in darkness. That's impossible. You know, last, remember last week we said that we cannot disconnect fellowship with God from fellowship with one another. Our walk is how we live in relationship to one another. That's our walk. And that happens on a daily basis. We can't disconnect the two. So our fellowship with one another is what? How we fellowship, how we interact, how we forgive each other is a reflection of our relationship with God. And, and again, John carries this theme throughout this epistle. So here's the lesson. I don't have this on the notes, but here's, here's, here's the lesson. The lesson is we cannot say that we walk with God and at the same time walk in darkness in relationship to one another. It's an oxymoron. It can't be done. It is not true. It's a lie. Talk is cheap. Anyone can make a claim about the relationship with God, but that, relation, but that spiritual reality, the relationship with God, is demonstrated in our physical in the physical evidence of our relationship with one another. Here's what John says in chapter 2 of the same epistle. He says, Whoever says that he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because darkness has blinded his eyes. The nation of Israel gives a great illustration of this truth. Jesus, in confronting the Pharisees and the rulers of, um, of the nation of Israel, he says this in, in Matthew 15. It says, and John says this, And Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He, Jesus, answered them, Why do you break the commandment of God? For the sake of your traditions. For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. That was a command in the Old Testament. But you say, oh, if anyone tells his father or his mother, hey, what you would have gained from me is given to God. In other words, the resources that I have, I've committed them to the Lord. That sounds good, doesn't it? He need not honor his father and his mother. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, Jesus said, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching the doctrines, the commandments of men, not of God, but of men. The apostle James repeats this truth in chapter 2 of James. What use is it My brethren, James says, if a man says he has faith, relationship with God, but he has no works, no relationship with man. That faith can't save him, can it? It's a dead faith. It's a fake faith, James says. 
John says, if you say you have fellowship with God, but you do not walk in the light of God's truth in relationship to one another, then you're a liar. Jesus would say you're a hypocrite. By contrast, the man who has been regenerated, born again by the Holy Spirit, and is never comfortable in his sin because light and darkness don't have fellowship. Right? Unbelievers just not comfortable there. But if we walk in the light, verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, that is God, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. John gives us two things that characterize those who walk in the light. Okay? Two things. One, there's fellowship with God as he is in the light. Which, which is expressed in our fellowship with one another. Have I made that point? <laughs> I think so. And two, there's a continuous cleansing of sin. It's an ongoing process. We're not talking about justification. Here we're talking about sanctification. So, we're going to talk, so as, as going through these verses, we're going to talk a little bit about some English grammar. Okay. So if you didn't pay attention in school, um, this is going to be a little refresher course in some English. And I always need that. So to have fellowship, in verse 7, have fellowship and the cleansing that he's talking about is in the present tense. And if you remember present tense, it's an action in progress. And that action has no, has, it doesn't contemplate any completion to the end. It's just something that's in progress. It's indicative. It's a state of being. It's an ongoing reality. Um, remember what we said? Um, in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for, and this is what continues in our lives as believers, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for teaching, for reproof, for correction. All of that continues. He says that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's how we walk, in relationship to one another and for the glory of God. Walking in the light of God's word is designed to expose sin. That's reproof, which should result in a change of course. That's correction, a process that's ongoing in the discipleship process. That's training. The end result is to glorify God in our deeds and in our works, because it's by his power that that is produced in us a change in who we are. The fellowship and the cleansing process, I think, is so well illustrated in the conversation that Christ has with Peter as he's gathering with his disciples at the Last Supper in John chapter 13. Then he, and John's recording um, this event in John 13, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel and to wrap that, he, that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash, if I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said, all right, well, then, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has been bathed, who has been regenerated, born of God, does not need that again, except to have your feet washed. We need that. Daily in our lives, we need to have our feet washed. We don't need the bath. We've been born of God. We just need that cleansing that comes from walking in the light of God's Word. But to walk in darkness is to walk in sin. If we say that we have no sin, John says in verse 8, we deceive, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So what does it look like for someone to say they're without sin. I'm not talking about the Gnostics in John's time. I'm saying today, what does that look like for us to say? It's subtle, right? It's subtle. How do we say we're not sin? Well, no confession of sin when we sin against another. If you're not, if confession, if 
Will you forgive me? If that's not part of your vocabulary, then let me tell you what you're telling to us. And let me tell you what I'm telling you. Let's put it that way. If, 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 hey, will you forgive me? If that's not in your, if that's not in my vocabulary, that's the same as me saying, well, no sin. There's no sin in my life. Or, or this one happens all the time with me, okay? I mean, I'm, I'm, Kim knows this. Yeah, ask Kim. It's when we say we're sorry, I'm sorry, but. So our sorry, our confession is really short, but our justification for what we did is really long, right? What kind of confession is that? Hey, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I have defamed God in that word or that deed, and I have hurt you. Will you forgive me? Is that part of our vocabulary? Making, saying I'm sorry, but always following it with an excuse? Are always blaming others, right? We hear that. We blame others. I'm the victim. We saw that from Adam. That's what Adam did. We talked about that last week. It's the wife you gave me. I'm a victim. And ultimately, God, it's your fault because you gave me that wife. That is not confession. Or I know. Here's one we all. Here's one. I'm guilty of this. I'm glad I see you smiling because you're relating with me on some of these things. We highlight the greater sin of others, right? We don't set up the standard, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Oh, I'm better than so-and-so. And so as soon as we say something, we bring up, oh, what about so-and-so? That's much worse, right? We highlight the greater sins of others. Well, we just simply don't, we simply don't accept <clears throat> reproof and correction. We're not letting the, the light of God's word impact us. In our hearts. To say that you have no sin, to imply that you have no sin, is to deny the power of the cross. John says, to walk in this manner is self-deception and is evidence that God is not abiding within us. Here's your assignment for this week. Read the book of Malachi. Israel did it. There's only four chapters. Read the book of Mount. Mount how, do you remember, how do I remember that? It's the Italian prophet. Have you heard this? Malachi? Malachi? Malachi, right? He's the Italian prophet. Read the book of Malachi. There's only four chapters. And Malachi comes and he confronts Israel with her sin. And repeatedly, you're going to read this from chapter to chapter. What? How have we? They repeat it. How have we? How have we? The question is, how have we done this? They, they didn't get it. They didn't see it. Because they had so rebelled against God and against his word, lived in sin, they couldn't even see the sin when it was pointed out in their lives. But John says this in verse 9. But if we confess our sins, here's the contrast. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all un righteousness. All right, we've got to dig a little, a, little, a little into this verse because we can misunderstand it or misinterpret it in some ways, and this is going to take a little grammar, so bear with me just a second. The if here then is an if and when. I won't get into the details, but it's, kind of, it's not a like a if it ever happens, but it will happen. If you're walking in light, this is going to happen. If and when, the confession will happen. And we already defined confession as agreeing with God, coming in, in line with God's word. Confess is in the present tense. Okay? It's a continuous action. So this confession is something that is going on in the life of a person who is walking in the light of God's word. If we confess. So based on our walk in the truth of God's word, we recognize sin and we agree with God that it is sin. Here's a lesson. Confession of sin is ongoing for one who is walking in the light of God's word. Okay, it's that simple. That should be part. That should that 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 should be part of our lives. Is the confession of sin, not just to God, but to one another when we sin against each other. Confession is something that's on that's a continuous part of our walk. It's a byproduct. It's a byproduct of our walking in faith and in the light of God's word. Here's a question for me and for you. Is confession of sin an ongoing part of my Christian walk? Now let me say this. 
in mo- it's most common for us to think of sin in terms of its consequences. That's how we think of sin. That's how we define sin. Now we learn that as children, right? We do something wrong and what happens? We get punished, right? So we tend to think, unless, unless you had very godly parents who set you down and said, you have violated, this violates the character of God. And there are consequences, and here are your consequences. There's those parts, but we tend only to think of sin in terms of consequences. We tell a white lie. We say, hey, no harm, no big deal. No one was harmed, no one was hurt. The truth is that all sin harms because God's created us as relational beings. We do not live independent of one another. And so how we think affects what we do, and what we do affects each other. Acting in a way that brings harm to ourselves or to others is not what makes sin sinful. It's not what makes an act of sin sinful. Did you hear me on that? It's, it, acting in a way that harms others is not what makes it sinful. Harming ourselves and harming others in our acts of sin is the consequence of our sin. And that is there and always comes with it. That's the law of the harvest. You can't violate it. Remember, we said sin is acting upon that which is a lie, that which is contrary to the nature, the character, and the being of God. Therefore, what sin really is, sin defames the character of God. It defames his character. To lie, to bear false witness is a sin because why? Not because of the consequences, Not because there's distrust and disorder. That will surely follow a lie. But sin is a lie because God is truth. That's why. That's why to lie, I'm sorry, that's why to lie is a sin. It, It defames God's character. God is true. To covet is a sin. Why? Because God is our provider. When we covet, we desire something other than that which God has provided. God is the provider of all things, Jehovah Jireh. To covet is to say that God is not enough. It defames the character of God. To steal is a sin. Why? You got, are you getting it? Are you starting to catch on to this? Why is stealing a sin? Because God is a creator and possessor of all things. He alone is the one who entrusts men with his creation. We are stewards We're not possessors, we're stewards of that which he has entrusted to us. To steal is to circumvent the trust and to deny God's authority over his creation. It violates the character of God. I can go on and on, I won't. Parents, hear me parents, hear me on this parents. I didn't do this well enough, I wish I had done it better. I think we'll all come to, you know, you get to be as old as I am, and you, you'll say that more often. I wish I had done this. But parents, we need to be able to communicate to our children how each sin is a violation first of God's character. Simply teaching them to avoid consequences is behavioral modification. The world understands that. We can do that with a dog. What's different about a dog and a person is that we, we defame the character of God when we sin. And so, it's a two-step process. We set our children down, and we explain to them that, that this defies the character of God. This is wrong before God. And then we deal out the consequences. Because sin has consequences. And our children need to know both of those things. That sin, first and foremost, defies their God. And secondly, it has consequences. And, and, and the, Joseph... When he was tempted to immorality, he said this. How could he said this in Genesis 39? How could I do this great and evil sin against God? That was his attitude towards sin. It wasn't, well, let me consider the consequences on that. Can I deal with those? It was no. How could I do that to God? David, when he committed sin, adultery and murder, he confessed his sin, right? And he said, against you and you alone, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, Psalm 51. And trust me, if you've read all, if you've read the life of David, 
You know he was forgiven, but he didn't remove the consequences of his sin. We still experience consequences of our sin, even in that forgiveness. This is why a growing and maturing relationship with the person of Christ is so critical in the life of a believer. Because the more we walk in the light of God's word, the more we see sin as he sees it, resulting in a desire to be rid of that sin so that we might be holy as he is holy. Remember this small view of God, right? God's holiness is a little thing in your mind. Small view of God, small view of sin. Big view of God, and you're only going to get that in his word. Big view of God, suddenly the light shines on your sin. Big view of sin, too. It's going to disgust you, and you're going to hate it. You want to hate sin? Love God. Know him. Then you'll hate the sin. That's how you deal with sin. So John says, if we're walking in the light, we will confess sin. That's characteristic of someone walking in light. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Quickly, let me say this. This is what it is not. It does not mean that we carry unforgiven sin around until, it, until we confess it. You hear me on that? This does not mean that we carry around unforgiven sin until we confess it. It does not mean that we have to confess our sins to a priest or some third-party intermediary to receive forgiveness. It doesn't mean that. Although John uses the present tense of the verb confess, right, an ongoing process, he changes verb tense when he says to forgive and to cleanse. He is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't use the same tense of the verb as when he's talking about confession. All right, so now I'm not, an, I'm, I'm not a Greek scholar. Shoot, I'm not even, I, I don't know anything about Greek, but I can read, and I can read what Greek scholars say. And uh, I'll tell you, to the best of my ability, something that made the most sense to me in reading about the verb tense. The verb tense is an aorist tense. It's not something we have in the English language, so it's difficult for us to comprehend. But the aorist tense of to forgive and to cleanse, um, I'll just quote from, um, from um, a, Greek, a Greek scholar on that. And that is, it's an indefinite or timeless statement of fact. It's not an action taking in place. It's not tied to the confession in terms of time. The aorist tense in the Greek does not communicate when something happens, but the, but, but the statement of something that just is. All right, get it? It's just a statement of, to forgive and to be cleansed. It's a statement of something that just is. Let me, so let me paraphrase this um, verse in John, verse 9. If and when we agree with God on the fact of our sin, okay, that's confession, because of his character, he's faithful and he is just, he is righteous. Our forgiveness and our cleansing just is. It is. Why is it? Because of who we are in Christ. Isn't that incredible? The forgiveness became our reality at the cross. At the cross, it's who we are in Christ. You've all heard me preach before. You know my favorite phrase is, in Christ. What I cling to is who I am in Christ because of Christ and what he has done. John chose these two different Greek tenses to communicate that confession is ongoing for one who walks in the light of God's word, and that, confession, and that forgiveness and cleansing is a reality. It just is. Because it was settled at the cross. Jesus said, it is finished. It's done. We are forgiven. So we are justified, and yet we still walk, and that's our sanctification. John confirms this interpretation, like just in the next chapter and two, when he says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And guess what? That's a different tense. <laughs> it's the perfect tense. And the perfect tense of the verb is that, is that a completed action, the benefits of which continue into the present. Okay? I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins 
our forgiveness, completed action, the benefits of which continue into the present, are forgiven for his name's sake. Just as just now here this is on the out this is on the outline it was in the back. And I, I, I'm, I, we're, we're closing. I'm, I'm, I'm running. I'm completely out of time. But hear me on this. I'm going to repeat this if you don't have the handout in front of you. Just as our justification is not based on our works. Are you hearing me on that? In the same way, just as our justification is not based on our works, yet our works give evidence of our justification, so also... Our forgiveness and cleansing are not dependent upon our confession. And yet, and yet, confession of sin is normal. It is normal and ongoing part of the sanctification process, and it gives evidence of our walk in the truth of God's Word. Let me say that one more time. Just as our justification is not based on our works, yet our works give evidence of that justification. So also our forgiveness and cleansing are not dependent upon our confession. Yet confession just comes part and parcel with walking in God's word. Our confession of sin is normal. And it's part of that sanctifying process and gives evidence. It gives evidence that we are and we do belong to Christ. And that's, in this epistle, John continues to reaffirm the faith of these believers. This is evidence. If you're confessing, you abide in Christ. If sin bothers you, no. Let that be a confirmation of who you are in Christ. Where there is walking in the light, there's confession of sin. Because light exposes sin, and the regenerate person will confess sin. That's the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Where there's no confession, there's no walking in the light. And so in verse 10, John says... If we say there is no sin, we make him, that is God, a liar, and his word is not in us. Wow, what a frightening thing to call God a liar. God is light, John says, and in him there is no darkness. Proverbs 6, for the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are a way of life. Let me close with an illustration just from our church family here, okay? And I already got permission to share this illustration. As you know, um, Kim and Tom Gregory, they drove to Pennsylvania a few months ago, um, just representing Community Bible Church um, for the funeral of Kim's mom, Okay. I was shocked that they had driven all that way, um, and um, just what a blessing to have church family just represented like that. They drove, they drove a, but, and, and then when we all come back together, and so I think it was that Tuesday or the next Tuesday after we had forgotten, gotten back, we were at one of our men's meetings on Tuesday, and, John, and um, um, Tom pulled me aside, and he, and he expressed the fact that he didn't realize the depth, the depth of the godly relationships that Kim had within her home. Um, a background for those of you who don't know, Kim, my wife's from Pennsylvania. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. We were married 41 years ago. Okay, so we're going back a ways. But he didn't just, as Kim and Tom came up there, Tom said, man, I did not realize how deep a fellowship, godly fellowship she had in her family and in her church family. Just coming to the church, the very church where Kim and I were married, was where this funeral was, and so and so they listened to a message from the from the pastor there, and he said, "I didn't, I didn't realize that." And he said, "You know what? I was insensitive to your wife, 40, 41 years ago, when she was hurting and struggling, getting married and coming and leaving that fellowship and come. I drug her to Georgia, and I say drag. It might have been kind of like that. I mean, she was excited, but oh, it's just what happens when two people meet and live so far apart, and we came and we lived here, and it was it, and it." it and there was that, that pain that comes from leaving that deep and that rich, those relationships in home, in that church family there. And Tom said, would you be okay if I just confess that to your wife? And I'm, I'm like, never was a word said that Kim ever said to me. Never was, was there an offense. There wasn't even a word or an offense. Never. And so I said, sure, Tom. I'm like, wow. 
And so the next Sunday, I see Tom going over. And, you know, we sit up here. So Tom goes, and you see him sitting and talking with Kim. And if you're like me, you're like, such a little thing, such a little thing. But this is what the light of God's word does in our lives. And this is how God's word impacts our relationship and our fellowship with one another. Tom, 40 years, 40 years, Tom's like, I'm going to go say I'm sorry. I'm going to apologize. No excuses. No comparison of others. Nothing. Just say I apologize for my attitude and not being compassionate when you were struggling with that, with that change in your life. And that's, and that's what God wants in our lives. Little children, John says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. I'm actually reading a verse ahead. That's in chapter 2. We won't go there. Don't misunderstand. John's not writing these things to give us a license to sin, but to remind the reader to let the truth of God's word to have its effect in our daily walk with him, to weed out the sin that is in our lives so that we might be image bearers, right? That's why we're created, so we might be image bearers that he has created us to be and to reflect his character in our relationships with one another in the world in which we live. That's a testimony of the power of the cross and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives. Let's pray.